Hi, everyone. I'm coming at you with this year's listener sode, starring a few members of our very own SSR community who recorded their answers to a series of book-related questions and sent them in to me. I can't wait for you to hear all of the inspired things that everyone has to say. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who participated. I appreciate you so much. Bear in mind that you might find the audio to be a little inconsistent in this episode, but that's only because it was a team effort, which is way more important than perfection, right? All of the listener sode participants mentioned lots of book titles and episodes of SSR, and I've listed all of them in the show notes for your reference. You can find these show notes at www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen slash episode 126. There are many other things to check out over at www.ssrpodcast.com, including our SSR blog and shop and a link to support the show on Patreon. Shout out to all the Patreon supporters tuning in now. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can still support the podcast as we wrap up one crazy year and begin another. Following us on social media is a good place to start. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast or The SSR Podcast Community. If you're loving this episode, please take a screenshot of it, like right now, and share it to your Instagram stories, tagging SSRPod. A five-star rating or review on iTunes would also be extremely helpful. Leaving one only takes a few seconds, and it goes a long way toward bringing new people to the podcast. I have big plans for SSR in 2021 and beyond, and it would mean so much to me to have your continued love and support. We all know that 2020 has been a challenging year, and as we wrap it up and hunker down for lots of winter reading and listening, I would highly encourage you to support independent bookstores by buying audiobooks on Libro FM. The audiobooks you get from Libro FM are exactly the same as the ones you would purchase from big corporations, and they're the same price too. Plus, SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Go to Libro FM. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. If you're tuning into this episode in real time, this is the last you'll be hearing from me this year. Our next episode, the first installment of Manuary 2021, will drop on January 5th. I can't wait to share it with you. In the meantime, listeners, enjoy some end-of-the-year downtime and enjoy this listener sode too. I so appreciate you and all of your support. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Each week we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Let's just jump right in and get started. The first question I asked for this year's listener sode was a classic. What was your favorite book as a teen or tween and Why? Holly is going to get things started with her answer. Hi, Allie. My name is Holly, and I am an elementary school librarian. This is my first year as a librarian at an elementary school that is for grades one to four. But prior to this, I taught fourth grade for 10 years. So middle grade is kind of my sweet spot. Your answer to your first question, my favorite book 
as a kid was definitely Tuck Everlasting. My fourth grade teacher read it out loud to my class um, and I had never read anything like it. I think it was my first dive into magical realism. The suspense of the story, the moral dilemma, especially the description of how the Tucks lived and survived without anyone realizing that they weren't aging. All of it just captured my imagination and my attention. And I still read this book um, with my students in the classroom. It definitely reminded me of my favorite book of 2020 this year was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And I felt like uh, this is like a grown-up Tuck Everlasting. Anyone that loves Tuck Everlasting will absolutely love Addie LaRue. And you also did a great episode with Chelsea from Novel Pairings um, about Tuck Everlasting. It was one of the first episodes I listened to when I found your podcast. And I was glad that the book the book held up. Holly, I was also a big fan of Tech Everlasting when I was a kid. I loved doing that episode with Chelsea last year. Listeners, if you haven't tuned into that conversation yet, it's episode 34. Next up to fill us in on her favorite book from her tween and teen years is Diane. Hey Allie, this is Diane and my favorite book as a tween would probably be Harriet the Spy by Louise Fitzhugh. A much contentious book Going back to your inaugural episode of this podcast, I remember when my third grade teacher read it to us way back, it was like 1987, and I remember thinking this uh, Harriet character was the most original character I had, I had heard of in literature at that time as a seven, eight-year-old. I thought she was so different from the, the goody-two-shoes, always do well, always do right characters I had read before. I thought she was great. I know she... <laughs> She's also very mean, which is probably why I really, I haven't read this book in a long time. So this would be one that I'm kind of almost afraid to read again because I put it on such a high pedestal, um, held it in such high regard that to read it now, knowing, you know, she wasn't the greatest of all people, but, you know, she's also flawed. And I think that's more realistic than some of the other characters in books from that time. My friend Brittany and I had quite the in-depth discussion about all things Harriet the Spy back on the very first episode of the podcast, which I will admit I am probably too scared to listen to again. I was just a little baby podcaster. But Diane, I will say that I get so much feedback from people who hold Harriet and her story close to their hearts and that my complicated opinion about that book is not necessarily the most popular one. So you're not alone. Coming up next, I would like to introduce you to the hosts of Down the Yellow Brick Pod, Tara and MK, who will share more about their faves. Hey, Allie. Hi. Tara. I'm MK. And we are at Down the Yellow Brick Pod, which is a podcast all about the wonderful world of Oz. We mm-hmm. just completed reading the original text of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, treating it as sacred, and are so happy to connect with you yes. on these amazing questions that you asked. So, yes. M, do you want to take the first question? Yes! What was your favorite book as a teen or tween? Why? Oh my goodness. The first one that pops into my brain is Stargirl by Jerry Spinelli. Amazing. Did you ever read that one? I think it's on SSR. You oh gotta my check goodness. that out. I gotta check out that I never episode. read Stargirl. I think I may have been like just a slightly I can see that. older. I am older than M by about <laughs> four or five years. Four or five, yeah. Yeah, so I think I, I, see that. I was on the cusp for yeah, me. Yeah, I remember like elementary, middle school. I, I loved it and I loved the cover. It was like this really bright blue with the pic- a picture of almost like a bathroom stall girl with like a little dress and then a yellow star above her. I remember her. that. Star yes. girl. Star girl. 
And I loved that the story focused on this young girl who is different. She wears like interesting clothes, but she's also super generous. Like she leaves people presents on their front doorsteps, but then she just randomly disappears. And I was always so enticed by her mysterious personality. And I always wore kind of strange, funky outfits as a kid. So I really, I felt like we were kindred spirits. So. I still have a copy of Stargirl with me and I, I need to reread it and need to listen to the episode and watch the Disney Plus series. Amazing. So Stargirl, that's my one of my favorites. Tara and MK, I love having my fellow podcasters join me for this listener sewed. Thank you so much for being part of this. Becky is up next to answer question number one. That's such a tough question and one I could answer a million different ways. But one series that I have consistently reread and loved since I was about 11 is The Song of the Lioness Quartet by Tamara Pierce. Alana and her twin brother switch places and pretend to be twin brothers so that she can train to be a knight and he can study sorcery. I love the way Alana overcomes adversity and stigmatism. I love her stubbornness and tenacity. I also love her development from a tomboy to a woman comfortable with both her strength and femininity. Pierce's world building is immersive and her characters always feel real to me. She takes young readers seriously and doesn't write down to them. Becky, you know I love a YA author who doesn't write down to readers. I actually had my first experience reading about Alana for SSR all the way back on episode 44. I echo so much of what you just shared. Everyone say hi to Chelsea. Hey Allie, my name is Chelsea and I'm an elementary school librarian in Southern California. I'm also on Instagram at the underscore cool librarian. Um, I'm excited to answer some of these questions for the listener sode. Um, one of the questions was to talk about your favorite book as a tween or teen. And I think my favorite book as a tween was Full Tilt by Neil Schusterman, who's actually gone on to write many wildly successful um, YA series since I read <laughs> Full Tilt. Um, Full Tilt is the story of a 16, of 16 year old Blake. Um, he ends up in this haunted phantom carnival and needs to survive these seven rides in order to escape and save his brother. Um, the rides all kind of represent a deep-seated fear of Blake's, which added a layer of suspense and meaning for me as a reader to his survival. I actually wasn't a huge reader growing up, but this book was one of the first times that I felt that like voracious reader feeling of not being able to put the book down. Um, I also was at an age where I was kind of picking up on those metaphors happening throughout there. And it was just kind of like mind blowing to me as a 12 year old to be um, seeing a book address deep seated fears and, and things like that. I love that we have multiple school librarians pitching in on this episode. I still remember my own elementary school librarian, Miss Tallarico. On the very off chance that you're listening, Miss Tallarico, you better send me a DM. Hannah will fill us in on her favorite tween book now. So my favorite book as a tween is probably an unconventional choice. I definitely was very into Nancy Drew and read every single one of those books. But what I called my favorite book for many years was The Phantom of the Opera. And I think I read it a little young. Um, I think it was an adaptation for uh, middle grade, but... After reading it, I think it was the first book that I read that did not have a happy ending. So I remember feeling almost like sick to my stomach at the end because <laughs> there's some, at the time, what I thought was a pretty horrific <laughs> torture sequence, I guess. 
Um, I don't actually remember specifically what happened. And then, then, yeah, it didn't end very happily for anyone, particularly the Phantom, who had this horrible childhood and life. And so it's maybe it's weird that I considered it my favorite, but I think it was the first book that made me like actually feel something. Because other than that, I had only read recommendations from my mom, which were typically very, you know, it's always going to be a happy, a happy ending. It was very... Anne of Green Gables, Sarah Plain and Tall, everything gets wrapped up nice and neatly at the end. And so I think I was maybe craving something a little different. Hannah, thank you for sharing. I have never read The Phantom of the Opera, though I've been lucky enough to see it performed. I'll have to check it out at some point. Erica, you're up. Hi, Allie. This is Erica. I live in Colorado, and I started listening to your podcast probably sometime during the quarantine when daily walks were the highlight of my day at the start of COVID. And I'm a new fourth grade teacher this year trying to navigate teaching 10-year-olds during a pandemic, which is always fun. But what brought me to your podcast in the spring was I was actually a librarian at my elementary school before I became a teacher this fall. So I loved looking back at classics that I loved as a kid and a teen and seeing how different the books that my students pick up now are. It's a really interesting journey and I really love it. So something that a series that I really loved as a kid were American Girl. I loved historical fiction. I loved how transformative they were to another era. Even in my playtime, I loved to pretend that it was a different era, both with my dolls and just kind of in my imagination. And I've loved those episodes that you've had any American Girl books and seeing how they have and have not stood the test of time since they've been published. I love those. So I really hope that you'll have more of those coming in 2021. And I just want to thank you for this awesome podcast. I really look forward to it every week. And it's just such a gem in my life to revisit things and also to look forward to new reads that either are new reads November or ones that I haven't read in my childhood. So thanks for all you do. And thanks for the awesome community that supports your podcast. Oh my gosh, Erica, such kind words. Thank you so much. As a side note, I have gotten so many messages from listeners who have said that podcasts like SSR have been hugely important and helpful and encouraging in this crazy year. And that is truly the nicest compliment a creator could get in 2020. It's really the least I can do. Now, let's welcome Christina to the listener sode. Hey, this is Christina from Tampa. One of my favorite book series as a tween, I guess, even though that phrase didn't exist when I was a tween, uh, was the Animorphs series. Every kid of a certain age can remember now what it was like to get this, you know, the when there was book fairs and you would get it. And these books were always in there. And just, I read them as much as I could with libraries and everything, but there was about 60 of these books. And they were like $4 each. And so after a certain point, I like never read the ending. And it was like the best day of my life. Like, honestly, when I was in college and I found the entire series at a thrift shop for 25 cents a book, I bought those books. I've never looked back. If my house was on fire, I would really want to save those books because they're just so hard to get now. And they were just such 
an amazing, powerful series. I've reread them several times now as an adult. I'm so happy that the series has been getting increased focus the last few years with audiobook recordings and a new graphic novel that was actually really nice, but gosh, it was such a, like, a dark, serious series, definitely, like, akin, I feel like, to The Hunger Games, and I love them, and I want more people to love them, and I can't wait till one of your guests pick this book to read because I can't wait for people to talk about it because I think they're just amazing and poignant and heavy, but also moving. Just, ugh. They're just amazing. Thanks, Christina. I love this story about you finding the books at a thrift store when you were in college. Seriously, it makes me so happy for you. I actually never read Animorphs when I was a kid myself, but the series is definitely on my radar for 2021. And for our last submission to question one, let's go to Julia. Julia contributed to last year's listener sode as well, and I'm thrilled to have her back for round two. I have almost blocked out everything I read from ages 12 to 22 because all of the reading I did was for school and I didn't feel passionately about any of it. But before that, the book I remember loving most is called Mandy, and it's written by Julie Edwards, who's actually Julie Andrews from Mary Poppins and the Sound of Music. It's a middle grade book about an orphan, (laughs) surprise, surprise, who discovers an abandoned cottage in the woods and she adopts it and fixes it up and ends up enjoying it. And she thinks nobody else knows about the cottage, but when she finds herself ill and stuck there, a special character comes to her rescue and she learns that she's less alone as an orphan than she thinks. Okay, so Mandy has been on my SSR wishlist for a while now, and I couldn't remember for sure if I'd read it myself, but thanks to Julia's description, I am positive that I did. Also, while we're talking about Julia Andrews, I would just like to say for the record that The Sound of Music is absolutely a holiday movie as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, now it's time to move on to question two. Have you had any surprising rereading experiences of Kidlet as an adult? A book you loved way more than you remembered? A book that was more problematic than expected? Once again, Holly will get us started. As a teacher, I have reread, I was excited to read Mrs. Piggle Wiggle out loud to my students. And I remember loving this book as a kid, which is um, about different families who go see Mrs. Piggle Wiggle to kind of help cure their children of different bad habits. And as I was reading, I kind of had to censor myself a little bit as I was reading out loud to my students. And I was so disappointed um, in the way that families were portrayed. It was always the mom who was the stay-at-home mom with the kids. There was always a father who was really dismissive of what the mom was worried about and very sort of uninvolved with with child raising. There were lots of threats like, wait until your father gets home. (laughs) Just super stereotypical gender roles, the cookie cutter, kind of two parents, two kids household. I feel like Mrs. Pickwickle is such a cool concept and I love the character of Mrs. Pickwickle. I feel like this could be remixed or rewritten into a new series with more contemporary families. Yeah, I was there was a lot of discussion about spanking and just, you know, the way the mother's mother and father characters conversed with each other was so disrespectful towards women and I just couldn't believe it. I definitely should have previewed this one before I started reading it out loud to my students. (laughs) Whoops. You should all know by now that I think teachers everywhere are superheroes, but this experience Holly just described is one that I had actually never thought about. Yikes. I can't imagine how I would handle that in an on-the-spot read-aloud situation. Sounds like you rolled with it. You haven't met Kate yet, but she's going to share with you a little about a rereading experience of her own. 
this year I was inspired to reread the entire Princess Diaries series, all 11 books of it, when I listened to the SSR episode where you reread the first book in the series. I totally forgot about the fact that the book is set in New York City, which now having reread the book is a major part of the story. Um, I also did not notice the body shaming that is rampant in this book when I read it as a child. Um, that being said, I still really enjoyed rereading the series again and it brought back memories from my middle school days. Thanks, Kate. Kate and I have actually chatted in my Instagram DMs about the Princess Diaries series as a whole, and I'm thinking that I need to move beyond the first book one of these days. Your turn to talk about some kid lit you've reread as a grown-up, Diane. The Betsy Tacey books by uh, Maud Hart Loveless. Not the ones where they're kids, but her high school years. Um, there's four books, starting with Heaven to Betsy, ending with Betsy and Joe, that chronicle her high school years, uh, 9th through 12th grades. And I think when I read them younger, I was like, okay, well, they're not as fun as these kids my age. But as a much older person now, um, reading about her high school years, it, they're, just, they're so cozy and charming and really not that problematic. I mean, considering these take place in 1906, there's not really any representation of any other... <laughs> kinds of people other than white middle class, you know, Midwest Americans. But I think the issues that Betsy deals with in her everyday life in high school are very relatable, whether it's her friendships, relationships, her family, her grades, her future. She wants to be a writer. And I relate to that because that's what I wanted to be at that age. And I just find them so lovely to read, especially this time of year. You know, they're they take place from the beginning of the school year to the end of the school year. There's a nice holiday part in the middle. And, you know, it's that consistent, kind of like Harry Potter starts beginning school year. And it's just a nice, familiar feeling. And every time I reread them, I just, I think they're wonderful. I have a very clear memory of being a little kid and having my mom tell me how much she loved the Betsy Tacey books. I think I read one or two of the early titles in the series back then. Those books are also high on my SSR wish list. Now over to my friends from Down the Yellow Brick Pod. I love this question. <laughs> well, I want to just shout out some books I want to reread because they were favorites. And I know when I go home for the holidays, I can maybe steal a few of them. Yes. One being Amelia's Notebook series. <gasps> yes! I loved Amelia's Notebooks. It was definitely um, yeah. meant for, I believe, like third, fourth, fifth, like that, that precious age elementary more than tween but mm -hmm. I loved these books and it inspired me as a journaler yes. um completely so yep. I would love to relook at Amelia's notebooks also there is a book series I think the first one was called second helpings Ooh. I loved it it was very much like it would have been friends with princess diaries on yes. the bookshelves love it but it never got I think there was supposed to be a film with like Alexis Biodel I think that was supposed <gasps> to happen but it never Ooh, did oh yeah speaking of Alexis Biodel Tuck Everlasting huge huge favorite and mm -hmm. also um I want to reread Tuck Everlasting it's one of my favorite books yep. from childhood mm -hmm. and the super fudge books I keep thinking about I loved those <laughs> but one that I have reread is Anne of Green Gables yes which I will talk about in a little bit Yes, you will hear more from this duo about Anne of Green Gables in an upcoming question. Also, I love that you remembered Second Helpings, which is the sequel to Sloppy Firsts by Megan McCafferty. We actually did an episode about Sloppy Firsts all the way back in the first month or so of the podcast, so be sure to check that out. Okay, Becky, I can't wait to hear about any rereading experiences that you've had. A book I checked out from the library too many times to count was Annie Johnston Fellow's The Little Colonel. It's the story of a little girl with a fierce temper and a large heart in the deep south who heals her sundered family. 
Rereading it as an adult, I find it deeply, deeply problematic. Her horse's name is Tar Baby. It romanticizes the Southern cause in the Civil War, slavery, and the parts of Southern culture most designed to perpetuate racism. Wow, that does sound deeply problematic. I've actually never heard of this book, so that's extra interesting for me. Chelsea is going to pick up where she left off in the last question with her favorite book, Full Tilt. The book is actually one of the few that I have reread in my life. I'm not a huge rereader, but I found it actually, it held up pretty well over time, which is always a nice surprise, as we know, listening to all the problematic books that we see on the podcast. One surprising rereading experience I had was Deanie by Judy Bloom. I loved this book as a kid, and I reread it recently for a class in grad school. I actually really kind of hated it. <laughs> I think I related to it back then because it had a lot of mother-daughter dynamics that I was also going through at the time. And while rereading, it just seemed like Deanie was being just really mean to her mom for no reason, even though she was letting her be a model, <laughs> like all tween girls dream of. And the story actually centers largely around Deanie's diagnosis of scoliosis, but I felt like it was kind of just a regular problem novel where her scoliosis became a personality trait. Uh, Sorry, Judy, I love you, but (laughs) it just felt a little like they were just trying to focus too much on that, not about Deanie as a person. Look, Judy Bloom, you're still basically the reigning queen of SSR. And here's a very little known fact. There is a lost episode of the podcast about Deanie. It was one of the very first episodes that I recorded back in 2018, and the audio was pretty rough, so it was never released. Someday, there's going to be a redo. It's Hannah's turn. A surprising reread for me was I recently read Anne of Green Gables. And in general, I think that it held up for me. And I still think it's a very charming story. I think only a certain scene surprised me, which was, well, there were multiple times that Marilla made racist comments. And I remember being just a little taken aback because it's said very casually. And, you know, Anne doesn't really respond to it. She kind of just moves on or whoever she's talking to at the time just kind of moves on. And yeah, I was just, I was surprised by that because I feel like Marilla is such a revered character. And I I actually think it's kind of a, I, I kind of, obviously I think what she said was terrible, but I enjoyed that it kind of showed this generational gap between Marilla and Anne. And I also think that Marilla is obviously a very flawed character or a very nuanced character, I guess. And and even in the beginning, she has a lot of prejudices against orphans. So it kind of shows that she's not a terrible person, but she is very ignorant. I feel like in 2020, it was very relatable to have a generational gap and someone that you admire and that has done a lot for you, but maybe says off-color things sometimes. And I don't think it was a good example of how to respond to that because there wasn't really a response to it. But I think it's very interesting to see that. So interesting. Love to hear how you're bringing it back to 2020. Julia's talking rereads next. I haven't yet had any surprising rereading experiences as an adult, but I did have a surprising first time read as an adult as a result of SSR. I had never read Tuck Everlasting until I heard the SSR episode about it. I had heard of the story before, but never picked up the book or watched the movie. But I was so intrigued by the discussion that Allie had with Chelsea from He Read, She Read that I decided to give it a try. 
And the thing I was most surprised about was how the writing was so beautiful, especially for a kid's book. I felt like it easily could have been a book for adults. Um, The style of writing kind of reminded me of a fable like The Alchemist. And I also found the setting was almost like a character unto itself. So I was very pleasantly surprised. And um, it was a great way to like kick off my year of reading in 2020. I love that Tuck Everlasting is getting so much love on this episode already. I'm glad the show inspired you to give it a try, Julia. Question three was, what book from your childhood are you scared to reread? Why? I am afraid that I am personally responsible for making a lot of people scared to reread books from their childhood, and I guess that's something that I'm just going to have to deal with. Whoops. Holly's up first. I am scared to reread The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle by Avi. I put this on my favorites list, my favorite books as a kid, and so I'm scared for the reason that we're all scared to reread. I'm scared it won't hold up. I'm actually, I was on a bulletin board. One of the (laughs) staff members decided to put up a bulletin board with teachers, pictures, and what our favorite books as kids were. And this is the one I picked, but I haven't reread it in a long time. It's on my list to reread very soon. Um, It's about a young, wealthy girl named Charlotte, and she's traveling from England to America, Um, but she's she's stuck traveling on a merchant ship. And on the back, it says there's a, quote, ruthless captain and a mutinous crew, Um, and she ends up being accused of murder. I remember it being a fantastic read that really grabbed my attention as I think a fifth grader and she was such a a plucky heroine and facing all these care you know these pirate characters and I loved it so I'm going to reread it I promise (laughs) very soon you should do a podcast episode about it and then I'll definitely reread it. Well, Holly, you are going to have to follow through on that promise sooner rather than later because we are actually doing an episode about the true confessions of Charlotte Doyle at the end of January. Thanks for sharing. Tara and MK, what do you got? I remember really, I don't know if scared, how would I describe it? I remember really loving the book The Giver by Lewis Lowry. Sure. And, But I also remember feeling very kind of... I don't know if scared, scared feels a little too intense. I, I remember just feeling a little uncomfortable or disconcerted by this alternate world, like society. And I just wonder how I would feel rereading it. <laughs> if it would like connect me to that elementary schooler who was like, wait, what is happening in this world, in this book? Maybe not scared, but maybe just like curious. Okay, what is this going to be? Because I, I loved that book so much. But I also, it was one of those books I only read once because I didn't really want to put myself through it again. I never read The Giver. Yeah. We missed it. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I love that. I love that answer. Check out episode 80 if you haven't. It's all about The Giver. Becky, the floor is yours. Because I'm a notorious rereader, there are very few books I loved as a child that I haven't read again. One that does come to mind, however is Welcome Home Jellybean by Marlene Fantashire. Neil is 12 when his older sister Geraldine comes home after spending most of her life in private care. She was born with severe developmental delays and the family struggles to cope. I remember loving this book in elementary school, but our understanding of mental health has grown in the last 30 years. And I wonder if the dated language and situations will detract from what I believe is a well-intentioned book, rendering it not useless, but certainly a mere illustration of its time in the larger conversation about mental health, illness, and developmental delays. 
Oh, that question of intention versus impact is such an interesting one, Becky, and one that I am always reckoning with in the conversations I have on the pod. Your point about our evolving understanding of mental health is also a good one. Over to Hannah. A book that I'm a little scared to reread is A Little Princess. Um, As a kid, I definitely loved the book. I I think I had more associations with the movie adaptation, but I definitely read the book multiple times as a kid, and I really, I really loved it. I would be nervous to reread it now because I feel like it's trying to say a lot about class and I don't know how well it may have done that. And I also think that looking back, the character, the main character, Sarah, is kind of seen as a saint. And thinking back now, I'm not sure that she's actually that interesting of a main subject because the whole premise of Sarah is that she's just perfect and despite so many challenges in her life she always reacts in the absolute best way possible um so I don't know that the character is that relatable and I I'm nervous about what the book is trying to say about class that is some seriously good food for thought about a classic Hannah I'm hoping to cover a little princess on the show at some point I also was big on the movie when I was growing up definitely had it on VHS definitely watched it anytime I was homesick from school Christina, tell me what book you are most scared to reread. One book I am scared to reread, or series rather, um, are the Fear Street series by R.L. Stein. When I was in elementary school, like early elementary school, I was such a voracious reader that I completely skipped past Goosebumps. Like, I didn't even touch those. And I went to Fear Street uh, by R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike books, just books where these kids were in, like, high school. And they were way too advanced for me. And I don't actually know what I absorbed in them. Like, the amount of, like, death and violence. Like, obviously, it didn't, you know, like, I didn't really realize what I was reading. Because if I read those today, I think I would just be, like, frightened. Like, I can still remember a couple passages that have stuck with me. So clearly it made an impact. But, like, I can't believe I was reading those as, like, a 9-year-old or 10-year-old. And I don't think I would want to read them today because frankly, all that death would like probably freak me out. So I don't know what nine-year-old me was thinking, but clearly I enjoyed them. It's no secret that both the child and adult versions of me are not so great with the scary stuff. So more power to you for reading Fear Street as a kid. Julia is going to wrap up this question for us. My first introduction to sci-fi was a book called Into the Dream by William Sleater. It was read aloud to me in my fourth grade class by my teacher. And I remember it being the first time I was ever captivated by a book. The story is about two kids in seventh grade who find out that they are each experiencing the same recurrent nightmare in which they must save a younger boy that they don't know. And as the story unfolds, they find out that they are also telepathic and they have to find this little boy before it's too late. And I remember as a kid, I was fascinated by the idea of superpowers in a book and the suspense and the mystery of the kid's mission kept me on the edge of my seat. And as an adult, I'm super torn about revisiting the book because I'm suspecting that the wow factor I experienced as a kid won't hold up. And also I'm worried that the story is gonna resolve in more of a mundane way that doesn't leave room for imagination. The book Into the Dream is actually totally new to me, so I'll have to check that one out. Question four, which book were you most excited to hear held up? Which were you most bummed to hear didn't? 
This is all, of course, relative to the conversations we've had on the pod, which are definitely not infallible. Holly's going to weigh in first. I was most excited that the American Girl doll books, you did an episode for Meet Felicity and also for Meet Kirsten. I was excited that those held up. I have such a soft spot, so much nostalgia for the books and the dolls. I really think my love of reading historical fiction was born from these series. As I reread the books, just looking at the illustrations, I have my original copies from when I was little and I dragged them out and I was looking at all the, the illustrations and it just brought me right back and it, it was such a good, warm feeling to read those books, and I was so happy that they that they held up. I think I was most disappointed in Nancy Drew. That was also a series I loved as a kid, and I have some of my, my mom's old copies of Nancy Drew. I just think there was so much potential there for a strong, independent girl detective, but as your episodes have shown... They definitely fall short. Lots of issues with, you know, race and class and privilege. It is pretty funny now to listen to the episodes and talk about some of the ridiculous plot points <laughs> um, that seem so funny to us now. But despite those episodes being humorous, it was a little disappointing that that series has not held up. I couldn't have said it better myself. I was thrilled not to be let down by American Girl and very disappointed about the Nancy Drew situation. I'm looking at you down the yellow brick pod. Okay. Um, I think Harriet the Spy was hard to hear. I listened to that episode. That was one of the first ones I listened mm-hmm. to. And I really took in the responses of you, Allie, and your guest. And I was like, that all makes sense. Like, looking at it through today's lens, um, I was a huge Harriet the Spy fan. Another reason why I always had marble notebooks and, like, would yes. force myself to eat tomato sandwiches, even though I didn't even like them, but I wanted to be like Harriet. <laughs> but, yeah, she is – Harriet is really mean – really really cruel and just like how there's really no accountability with that was interesting and what you brought up on the podcast oh I also what like yeah I guess that that would be my bummed one and the one that I was excited to hear held up was meet Kirsten I really loved hearing that's an American girl book I loved Mm. hearing that book be spoken about because it is such like a faint like I think of it like some of these books, Allie, they feel like faint music box memories mm, um, that you put yep. on the podcast. Like I could hear the twinkling of the memories I have with these books, but they're so distant. So yeah. you really do a nice job of getting them back, not to being faint, <laughs> to being like a little bit louder and like yeah. feeling like a child again and remembering certain things. So I really thank you for that. But I really, really mm. enjoyed the Meet Kirsten and like how you guys looked at her truck to America and the immigrant story and the fear of not being able to speak the language when you um, arrive somewhere and like as a little girl what does that mean I lived for that so thank you for diving into that book that music box metaphor is so beautiful thank you I take it as a compliment and I will forever think of myself and this podcast as the obnoxious volume dial on all of your music boxes Also, if there's one thing I've learned putting together this listener sode, it's that this year's American Girl episodes were big winners. Okay, Becky, your turn. I'm tickled that we seem to share an abiding love of Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. And it was so fun to hear you introduced to Eight Cousins and Rose in Bloom. Becky, it makes me so happy to share an abiding love of Little Women with you. I'm actually getting ready to start my annual reread as we speak. Hannah, the mic is yours. The podcast episode that I was most excited to find out 
that the book held up was The Westing Game. Just because I was really into mysteries as a kid and I remember I just had very fond memories of this specific book and I didn't remember the plot that well until I listened to the episode but it still was nice to hear that it's still a really good book. And the podcast episode that I was most, I don't know, most bummed, I guess, was Harriet the Spy. And I totally agreed with everything that you guys were discussing and, and the fact that Harriet was actually a pretty terrible protagonist. Um, totally agreed with that. But I had such great memories of that as a kid. And I I remember like putting together my own spy kit and like trying to like write things down. And I feel like I had such a good fun, so much fun playing that part that uh, realizing that she actually wasn't a great person to be looking up to, it was um, sad, but I definitely agreed with what you guys said. I think I just have to accept the fact that I'm going to be responsible for breaking hearts with Harriet the Spy for like the rest of my life. Sorry. Julia will share now. I was bummed to hear about how awful Peter Pan was and what a weirdo J.M. Barry was as a person. I suppose those of us who watched Disney's animated Peter Pan could have guessed that there were going to be major problems with the book, but did the author have to be a disappointment as well? Like, what's with all of the Lewis Carrolls and Roald Dahls and J.M. Barrys? Sometimes I wish I could, like, live in the past, but when I think about the company I might have had to keep, I'm glad that we're all living in a time of, like, Tomi Adeyemi's and Elizabeth Acevedo's and Jessica Townsend's. I hear you loud and clear, my friend. Why are all of these authors so disappointing? Question five is brand new to the listener so this year. This is the moment to share your dissenting opinions about discussions we've had on the podcast. Holly, I'm ready for it. I will dissent with your opinion on the boxcar children, sort of. Um, I was inspired by the podcast episode to reread my copy. I reread it, I think, in like a half an hour. I thought it was so boring. Nothing happens in this book. I thought it was excruciating how kind of sicky sweet the siblings were to one another. And Goody Two-Shoes characters, oh my gosh, I thought it was so boring. I remember thinking back to myself, I thought this was a mystery series. Although I think now that the the later books in the series are, are solving mysteries. But I literally hated this book. <laughs> I know I liked them as a kid. I, I still have my copy from when I was a kid. Also, speaking from the perspective of an elementary school librarian and teacher, I don't think this would hold the attention of an elementary schooler today. I, I wouldn't put this in their hands. I, I think we have the series in the library, but oh my goodness, I thought it was so boring. Maybe some of the other books become more focused on the mystery history and more interesting, but I'm frankly not willing to reread any of them because I hated reading The Boxcar Children, the first one. <laughs> okay, so yes, I do think the mystery element comes in later, but I can't argue the boring point. I can see how they're kind of boring. Descent away, Tara and MK. Now for the question on dissenting opinions um, <laughs> and what do you think I've gotten wrong in the pod? Well, I don't think much. Like I really appreciate, I think we're all entitled to feel what we feel from these books and interpret them at our will. I think that's what mm -hmm. makes your podcast so fun and exciting. What I do think you've gotten wrong is where is the Wizard of Oz, girl? Yeah, you got to put the Wizard of Oz on. on there. And we would love to join you if ever you'd like yes. to do that because it is like our 
medicine medicine yes we love it so much and we just love sharing into sharing it with others but I will say I listened Anna Green Gables was one of my favorite books and it's one that I have reread as an adult and I listened to your episode on Anna Green Gables Mm -hmm. and I was a little struck by the focus on her being annoying without referencing the fact that this young girl was a survivor I don't think that word was ever used on your episode but that she had been through a lot and why she used the scope of her imagination like you said like I love those words why she had to use it it was a survival skill and she was never really seen in it and that's why like with Matthew and she meets Matthew Cuthbert for the first time in this carriage ride that is an epic scene she is speaking a mile a minute because most people would shut her up and this man was finally listening and I just want to bring attention to that because I think there was more focus on how annoying she must have been to be riding with, which of course, as Matthew, who doesn't know her, is probably true and real. Mm -hmm. But I want to shed some light on the fact that Anne finally had listening ears after years of not having listening ears. And that excitement um, to just let loose and be seen and heard is something I just like, I love so much about her. And I think it's why Anne talks so much. Totally fair point about Anne of Green Gables. Thank you for bringing it up. Also, I promise that you ladies will be the first to know when I'm ready to do an episode about The Wizard of Oz. Other Oz fans out there, be sure you've listened to episode 64, all about Ozma of Oz. Okay, Becky, hit me with your dissent. I just have to say, I almost stopped listening after the first episode, because I so disagree with you about Harriet the Spy. I think preteens are pretty awful sometimes, and there is something refreshing about seeing that in print. Kids and people don't always get what they deserve. Actually, the opposite. And I like that the ending wasn't pat and moral. I'm glad I kept listening to your podcast, though, because you're insightful and funny, and a lot of what is nostalgic for you is nostalgic for me. I so enjoy your podcast and social media presence. Thank you for the brutal honesty. I am so glad you decided to stick around. Those are all of the dissenting opinions I got this time around. I'm going to include this same question in my next listener sode, and I welcome even more brutal honesty. The final question is this. What do you think we need more of in Kidlit and YA? As you probably know, this is a question I've been thinking about a lot in 2020. While the old school premise of my show can make it challenging to be forward-looking at all times, I think it's important that we are constantly keeping our eyes on what we can do in the future. Holly, start us off. Um, In my opinion, what we need more of is middle grade. I'm a huge, huge fan of middle grade. And I feel like it's such a a sweet spot that is difficult for some authors to achieve. There are lots of easy reader, beginning chapter books, lots of chapter book series like I Survived or Magic Treehouse or Diary of a Wimpy Kid that have, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 copies in in their series. Um, But those are really more for younger students. And there's also a lot that skews older. And I read a lot of books to kind of preview for my classroom or preview for the library. And so often there is one particular scene or one particular conversation where language is used or something is referred to or something is, you know, an, an event that's kind of really intense. And I go, oh man, if it wasn't for that kind of one piece, this would be great middle grade. There's something always thrown in that makes it skew a little older, more towards YA or seventh and eighth grade. I feel like that fourth, 
fifth, fourth, fifth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade age group, it's really rare to find a book that's really solidly written for that age group. And when you find them, they're gems. They really are some of my absolute favorites. We're starting to see a lot more diverse characters and just kind of current events popping up in in these books and you know characters that are navigating life and friends and family and also just really kind of coming into their own selves and learning about who they are and I really think middle grade is so special and so I would just love to see more that's solidly written in that category for those middle grade kids. I've developed a real soft spot for middle grade too so I loved that response. Kate's back to share her thoughts on this one. We need more representation for disabilities in kidlit and YA literature. The more I read in these genres as an adult, the more I realize that even more quote-unquote visible disabilities like visual impairments, like I have, which I wear glasses for, are not very commonly written about in these genres, um, and other disabilities that are not as visible are almost non-existent, at least in the books that I've read. Um, I really hope that we can rectify this in the future and that more people can see themselves represented in the literature they read. Couldn't agree more, Kate. Thank you for sharing that insight. Let's chat with my pals from Down the Yellow Brick Pod one more time for today. We've talked a bit about this on Down the Yellow Brick Pod. Number one, I think I would love to see maybe kids, a protagonist who is grappling with their own gender identity, whether that is become... um, you know, getting into the trans um, community or just just discovering that for themselves. I think that would be really, really cool to see. It would be awesome to see young gay and lesbian uh, protagonists and even have maybe some like romances in that way. I, I think- Young, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think some, um, some YA is getting into that that I've seen. So that'd be very cool to in see more. In a positive way too. In I a love, positive way, I yes. love like Schitt's Creek for instance. I was just gonna say yeah, Schitt's like Creek. Yeah, like how it's just so normal to be gay. Yeah. And like, I would love to see more of that too with yeah, you. Yeah, there's no like parents shunning them, which is yes, obviously, yes. you know, an important- It is an important Part story. of life, but it would be great to just be like, this is, quote unquote normal. It's you not know? the only story. It's not the only thing. Yeah. Can I um, piggyback really quick yes, on that? Because you made me think. Um I think I was misled by a lot of books as a young kid, especially like our trunk of fairy tales and things of like happy yeah. endings. And one hundred percent I don't yeah. think I want happy endings. Not in the sense of like I don't want positivity at the end, but I want to know that we're still left feeling like there's work to be done because I think mm-hmm. it's actually stifled me as like, well, I'm done with that, so I'm done with that. Like I've put it to rest. I put it to yeah. rest when like there's so much work to be done, and we I want it all tied up. Yeah, uh, yeah I want to feel that stamina come off the page of yeah. This is what's next for us. Not we all live happily happily ever after. Yeah, and you'll never hear about us again. We don't need um, that. So yeah. I, I definitely want more of that from the lit world. And yes, of yes. course, like this is more. I'm definitely thinking a little bit more fairy tale, but. Still, I, I want to know what the next grappling is always yeah. at the end. Yeah, I love that. Just knowing that, okay, we can be okay with, like, some uncertainty and anxiety, perhaps. Yes, we can um, be okay with anxiety, 100%. Yeah. yeah, I think just more out of the box, not out of the box, but less mainstream characters. Um, maybe even I'd love characters who are differently abled. Um, That's that really would be wonderful. Yes. Um, and for, for, we've talked about this on the pod as well, um, positive representation of uh, menstruation. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think as opposed to like, here's a book where we're going to talk about menstruation, but just like, oh yeah, I got my period and I'm feeling, I don't know. It'd be cool like to have a little bit more of that. And not it just being the first period. Yeah. It being so like just normalize period, it. periods are normal. Women are having them all, all the time. So yeah. how do we like talk about it where like people don't squirm yeah. or just see it as normal? Yeah. There's so yeah. much. Yeah. There's so, so much to talk about. So many good ideas in that clip, Tara and MK. Tell me what you'd like to see more of, Becky. Certainly more diversity is needed across the entire literary landscape. I think it's most productive to say we need more non-white, non-wealthy, non-cisgendered, and non-straight voices. And I'd like to read more books about regular kids doing regular things. Don't get me wrong. I love fantasy and dystopian fiction and psychological thrillers. And I think stories about eating disorders and drug abuse and mental health and sexuality are important. But sometimes I just want to read about a kid who's just a kid on a planet that, despite climate change and pandemics and a sycophantic soon-to-be ex-president, is pretty incredible. No magic or technology or mystery required. Thanks, Becky. Let's be honest. Normal life is pretty much always worthy of literature. Also, I'm pretty sure I hear a very young SSR fan in the background of that last clip. So fun. Please apologize to them for my bad language. Chelsea's back to share her thoughts on this question. Putting my elementary school librarian hat on for a second, I really try and make a conscious effort to build a collection that is representative of all my students, where they can see themselves and others in the books they read in the books that I provide for them to read. And one thing I noticed, though, is that many books featuring characters of color or who identify in different ways often have some kind of struggle they're working through, and that's the only point of the book. And those novels have purpose, and they they fit in well to our collection. Uh, But I'd love to see more books with kids from different backgrounds just being kids. One of the books I loved recently that um, I found did a really great job at this was Um, Better Nate Than Ever by Tim Fetterly. It follows a boy named Nate who runs away to audition for E.T. the Musical in New York City. And it felt like such a great celebration of Nate as a person, kind of finding himself. And he's someone who just loves acting and musical theater and just wants to make a big time in New York City. (laughs) And he really values his friendships and his family, which is something that's important to kids these days to see positive interactions with friends and family. And then they briefly touched on his discovering of his identity and kind of the beginning process of that. Um, I really just felt like Tim Federley did a great job of showing Nate as a multidimensional human being versus only identifying as a gay boy. He, he has other, other facets to him. I really enjoyed that. Yes, I totally agree. This is a shift I started to see happen in pretty much all of the New Reads November titles this year, which was pretty exciting. Now I'm going to hand it over to Hannah. Something that I think there could be more of in young adult literature are examples of healthy relationships. And I think looking back, especially at older kid lit, there is such a huge trope about orphans. And I I think I get that because kids often feel limited by their parents, so they feel like in order to suspend belief that these kids would be allowed or able to do the things that are about to happen, they just have to have not have parents, which I totally get. And I definitely enjoyed reading. I guess I just feel like so many kids 
do not have good examples of healthy relationships in their households. And so it would be great if there were examples of that in the books they're consuming. Um, just so that when they, because especially like middle grade, young adult literature, it's right at that, that point where they may be starting to have relationships of their own, that they have examples of what it's supposed to look like, or just so they see something that is healthy and then they have something to aspire towards. I think that's a fantastic point, Hannah. Are you listening middle grade and YA authors? Okay, Julia, bring us home. I would love to see a Malcolm Gladwell-esque book for young readers, for middle grade or YA, and preferably from a different perspective than Malcolm Gladwell, who (laughs) has a really unique perspective, but is kind of saturated right now. It would be great if some of the the new voices brought new perspectives to sociology and like the how-to genres and made it accessible to younger readers. Also, I would love to see more layered diversity in books for young readers. I think we're getting more diversity, which is great. But for example, I have someone close to me who was born in England and her parents were born in Uganda, but they're all of Indian descent. So this person has like three different cultures running through her. She's got like traditional Indian culture, she's got Ugandan culture, and she's got British culture. And overlaying all of that, their family is Muslim. So that's a complex set of identities to have in one person, but it's also very common to have that many identities in one person and also for entire groups to have that set of identity. So this kind of thing is out there in the world being lived, but we don't see it uh, represented in literature or the publishing world barely at all. We're just starting to now. And I think it's really important that these stories are told, these ideas are expressed, and um, these voices are heard, and not just for adults, but in an accessible way that young readers can understand because more than likely they are some of the people that hold these identities within themselves. Absolutely, Julia. I think that's a fantastic way to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much to everyone for listening and thanks so much to the listeners who contributed. I absolutely loved putting this together and learning more about how you see the world of books and SSR. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. I'll be thinking of you as we start this new year and I'll see you back here in January. Bye for now. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>